to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. i got to tell you something, people. Uh, very honored to have this gentleman on my show today. He's not only a great actor, he's a great musician, and he's a great writer, and he's an Ivy Leaguer. He went to school in New Jersey, and I, I live in New Jersey, so i got to love that. And my guest is David DeCovey. How you doing, David? Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well, and you? I'm doing great. i, I got to ask you, I know you've been doing a ton of interviews, and we're going to get right to your music, but before, I have one question for you that I'm sure no one has asked you. A while back, Good. Evan Handler was on my show, and he told me a story about how when you and him sat down for the first time together to read for Californication with him being Runkle, and he said it was a lot of ad-libbing and stuff like that, but he told me that he yelled, I have an offer for you. And he told me that you said that's the reason why he got the part. And he said, if the company is ever on, you ask him and he'll back me up. It's true. And in fact, uh, both Tom Kapanos, the creator of the show, and me, we, we would always come back to that line. It just because he said, I have an offer for you, something like that, you know, and it just tickled me in the moment. And it was just like, oh, he encapsulated everything that character is supposed to be and everything he was going to be in that one line, in that one line reading. And it is true. Evan speaks the truth. All right. Well, I want to get to your music. You're coming out with your third album, uh, Jesterland. I want to ask you, you know, I know you've, you went to college, you've done a lot of writing, you have a lot of talents, you play basketball. When did you start playing music? And the second part to that question is, when did you have the confidence to feel you were good enough to record your music? Um, I started playing guitar about only about 10 years ago after being a music fan, pop music, popular music fan my whole life. Um, and then, you know, after I was playing for a little while, I was teaching myself basically by looking up uh, chord progressions on the internet of songs that I liked and just, just kind of noodling away in the trailer or whatever at home. And then after a while, I just started playing chords on my own or, or just chord progressions that I liked and I was surprised that I would hear kind of melodies uh, come to me and then uh, I started to put words on those melodies and, and start writing songs I never had the confidence that you know uh, I don't know what they are maybe they're songs I don't even know what they are but uh, every step of the way to recording I mean I met people a friend of mine Keaton Simons said hey let's just record your songs and we went to his garage and we did that and um, you know it was always people just saying, why don't you take the next step, take the next step. It was, it was never something that I would have had the confidence to say, hey, I'm going to go record now. <clears throat> I certainly don't have that confidence still as a player. I don't, I don't, record, I don't record an instrument on the, on the album. I don't play it that well. Um, but I play well enough to write. And at some point I started to think, yeah, at some point I started to think, yes, I had confidence that I was writing songs that might give other people pleasure or an experience of some kind and uh that that just happened at one point and so i i wouldn't say like i had this kind of crazy confidence in myself as a songwriter but i i did get some confidence that i have songs in me and um if i sit down and try to try to let them come to me they they will they have now what's your parallel between you've written a bunch of books and you're writing songs now What's the parallel for you? Is there, do you pull from any of the same things? Because I'm sure a book, you have to elaborate on the whole story, the yeah. plot, everything. A song is a story, but once again, yeah. it's in three to five minutes. How do you yeah. decide which one you're going to write? Well, I mean, one is a marathon and the other is a sprint. 
Like a song is really like, uh, it can just be sparked by a chord progression, like I said, or a melody, or even just a lyric line that I like. And then I'll chase it down and try to turn it into a song. Uh, a book is gonna, it takes forever. You know, you have to sit in that chair day after day for six months to a year and just keep, keep writing it, keep trying to get it. The other thing about writing at least lyrics for songs is, and songs I think in general, you know, we, we respond to stuff that we've heard before. You know, we're kind of acclimated to like what we like. And the thing about writing lyrics that I find interesting is, you know, I go for cliches and I try to make them new. You know, we, we have shared phrases and cliches that we like in music, that we like in our pop songs. And they're like a shorthand. And I, I like playing around with that. You know, like laying on the tracks or just like, things that we all feel like we know what they mean, and then the song kind of reinterprets it. Now, give me your interpretation of Langland Tracks. I know you wrote it around uh, the yeah. election time. Tell me where that came from and what made it an important song to you, because it seems like it is. Well, Laying on the Tracks, I mean, that phrase, it did a lot of work for me, which is what I like a phrase in a song to do. Like, I, I remember Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. <clears throat> I remember from when I was a kid, you know, seeing those old movies where the bad guy ties the girl to the tracks and here comes the train. And I remember the idea of <clears throat> having to stop a train by throwing your body in front of it, laying on the tracks to stop a disaster from happening. So it was doing all this duty for me. And also laying on a track, a track of music. So it was all these things. It was like okay, this is a song that is like philosophically going to be about trying to stop this train that I see or this bad guy that I see. I, I know that I can't stop it, but it's kind of about that. And the lyrics, you know, for the most part, there are some that are overtly political, but for the most part, it's pretty introspective that it kind of calls out the person singing it as being part of the problem, you know, that, that, that he's not a saint. He's not done everything right, but he wants to be heard saying these things and wants to change, just like he wants the country to change in a way. Now, who were some of your musical influencers? You said you like pop. And, I, you know, I was listening to some of your songs, and, I, and with night, the nights are harder these days, I heard a little bit of Smithereens. I don't know if you're a Smithereens fan. I heard a little bit of the guitar riff, a little Jim Badchat going. Who are, some of your, uh, who are some of your influences for your musical career and also for who you like to listen to when you were younger? Yeah, that's a sound. I mean, for me... That's more coming out of like Neil Young, and then, and then uh, you know the '70s that turns into the '90s in a way. Like I see a direct line from the '70s to the '90s, that kind of garage, uh, uh, grungy, muddy sound, uh, which I like in both those eras. Um, you know, I don't know about my songwriting, but my ear, what I like to hear, is definitely influenced by late '60s or early '70s. Uh, you know, Beatles, Stones. Petty, Lou Reed, Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Young. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where my ear was kind of created, you know. So that's what I have. That's that that's that's in me. So when I'm making music, I kind of like gravitate towards those sounds. I think. Now, what was it like recording this latest album, uh, Jesterland, during a pandemic? You started in the beginning. 
And, you know, a lot of times I've talked to a lot of songwriters and actors who, when the pandemic came, it really changed their creativity. Some, a lot of musicians loved it because they got to stay at home and not tour and they could say, oh my God, I actually have a family. But some said for the creativity got thrown off because it was staggered. We never knew how long we would be shut down. How was the whole process? Did it affect you at all during this whole shutdown, then opening up? I think it affected everyone. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't know, like, specifically how it affected me. I wouldn't say that I was particularly productive. You know, you'd think, oh, that'd be a great thing if you were, uh, you know, self-generating artist. You know, you just have all this time. You can't go out. There's no distractions. Um, but I didn't feel particularly inspired. Um, I was, like most people I know, kind of glued to the TV with the, all the political shenanigans that was going on, which is not really that conducive to, I think, the creative state of mind. So <clears throat> on top of that, I'm not a big partier or I don't go out all that much. So it really, I, I was used to kind of being alone and creating. Uh, the, the fact that it was enforced was tough. Um, and I thought, you know, we kind of had to stop recording this album in the middle of it. And uh, I think I, one of the benefits of that, for us anyway, was being able to stay with these songs for so long, you know, without being able to touch them. And then just listening to them over and over and trying to hear <clears throat> what else we wanted to bring to them. So when we came back together, and we really had to record a lot of the arrangements, like the horns and the strings and the, and the harmonies, we had different ideas than we might have had if we were just rushing to the finish line a year earlier. Now, did it worry you at all when you start recording? Because you are a, you're a big star. I mean, you know, I know hate, I hate people that hate to hear that, but it's true. Did it did it worry you at all how critics would? And you've gotten good critic review, critical review, but did it worry you how critics would take you as a musician? Because you know, we all know when Bruce Willis, they all got mad at him about Bruno yeah. and. And, you yeah. know, all this. Does that worry you at all? Because, you know, you know you're putting a good product out. But does it yeah. piss you off a little bit for them to sit there and go, oh, well, it's good for an actor? I mean, what what, do, yeah. what did you expect? I really didn't know what to expect just because music was not something that I ever thought that I'd be doing. So uh, it's more when I published, started publishing novels, I thought, oh, I'm going to get, this is pretty good writing for an actor. And I'd be like, yeah, is that what you said to Shakespeare? You dumbass, you know, like the greatest writer we've ever had in this language happens to be an actor. So, again, not saying I'm Shakespeare, but that's that would be my point. It's it's easy. It's an easy joke or it's an easy dig. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, every kind of cut hurts. Like, nobody likes to hear negative shit about themselves, but... You do have to consider the source. You have to consider how it's phrased. You have to consider whether it's been legitimately thought out. Um, the thing about music is it's so personal that I'm always like, I either like a song or I don't. I can't like give you a treatise about why it's not as good as some other song. You know, it's like I just don't like it, or I like it. You know, so to me, it's all kind of bullshit that way. It's like. I know some people are going to like it, and I know some people are not going to like it, and that's has nothing to do with me being an actor or me being famous or anything like that. It's just, it's just music. Now, being an actor, is it easier for you to perform live? Uh, you think so? 
but I, I was never, I've never been confident in my voice to sing live. So that was a kind of a hurdle I had to, I had to get over, you know, just that kind of feeling. But I actually was, uh, I had said, you know, I never want to perform live, you know, I'll, I'll perform in the studio and, you know, you'll auto tune me and I'll sound great and nobody will ever know that I can't really sing that well. And that'll be just fine by me. You know, in many ways, actors are used to this because our, our performances are edited. You know, our, it's like when you see a movie or a TV show, you're seeing the best notes that the actor hit. You're not seeing the bad notes. But when you're performing live, you're seeing the whole the whole thing. And um, I was about to go on stage like the first time I was ever going to play in front of, you know, more than 20 people. And it wasn't a huge thing. It was maybe a couple hundred people. But it was, for me, it was, wow, a lot of people out there. And the band went out first, and I was kind of waiting, you know, backstage in a stairway, you know, all alone. And uh, I was like, wow. And it's just close to where I grew up. It was just very weird. It was like, wow, I never, never would have thought that I'd be here about to do this, you know. And I was thinking, ah, oh, man, I, I warmed up. I, You know, my voice was in good shape. And I was like, oh, I hope I don't suck, you know. I hope I can. And then, and then I heard the I heard the audience, and I was like, "Oh, they sound like they're having fun." Um, and I thought, "Yeah, they paid take they paid for these tickets. They left their homes. They paid for babysitters, whatever. They didn't come out to have a bad time. They came out to have a good time. They they want me to be good." And I was like, "Oh, they want me to be good." And I was like, "Well, I'm not going to get in their way. You know, I'm not going to come out and say I'm bad." I'm going to go out and try to be good, try to have a good time with them because that's what they want. I was like, that took all the pressure off. It's like, oh, it's not about like notes. Sure, to a certain extent it is, but it's about the live music. It's about, you know, it's about the moment. And I, I was like, it's not about you, buddy. Right. Now, you're an Ivy League kid, like Ivy League guy. Uh, what made you get into acting? Well, I mean, what, was, what was your goal when you went to Princeton? You, you, what was your main objective? I don't think I really had one. I wasn't very uh, wasn't very career oriented in that way. Um, I mean, I thought I wanted to write. I knew I wasn't a scientist. I knew I wasn't doctor material. Um, I, I really had no idea what kind of a job I'd ever have. Didn't know. Um, and it was really it was a Yale when I was now I was in graduate school, and so the job track that I would have been on is like a professorial. So um, now I'm seeing my life stretch on ahead of me and it, it looks like, <clears throat> okay, so you're going to get a PhD and then you're going to try to get a job at a college and you're going to try to get on tenure track, publish some papers, write a book, and then maybe get tenure. Once you get tenure, it's like, oh, now I don't have to, now I can do what I really want to do. And I was like, well, what do you really want to do? And I was like, why, why are you going to do all that stuff and then then do what you really want to do. And I was just thinking I wanted to write. And um, I thought about the, the venues for that. And of all, I'd written poems. I'd, I'd written a, a novel that was kind of crappy. And I thought, well, I'll try my hand at playwriting um, because that seems like fun. At least, you're, at least you're collaborating. You know, you're not sitting in a room all alone all day long. I was 20, 23, 24 years old, so I didn't want to sit in a room all, long, all day long. So I thought if I'm going to write plays, I should 
learn about acting. I should at least try to act, you know, because if I'm going to write words for actors to speak, then I should see what that's like, at least. It seems like that would, that would be a smart thing for a writer to know of plays. So that's how I, I came at it that way. So you're acting, you know, you have some, you've had some great roles, which I love Aquarius. Uh, you know, Cooper Tom Prince, Spencer Garrett, and Xander Berkeley are both on it. And I always love when I see people that are on my show acting, because it's yeah. great. And now it's, you know, that was when me and my wife would watch that, and we were pissed when it ended. And I always hate that when, when a show ends that you like. And, you know, you know the story, because you know it was Manson, but we don't know what's going on with you. And they, they yeah. never fucking wrap it up. They always just sit there and you go, well, what happened to him? You should be able to just, like, they should put on a Hollywood reporter Here's what happened to David Duchovny's uh, character in Aquarius. Sam, Sam Hodiak, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a heartbreak for all of us involved because um, we had big plans uh, to span, you know, into the 90s, I think. We were going to take, you know, we were going to go all over the place with that show. And, um, you know, it was just many different things. I mean, it just never caught in the, in the sense of, uh, it was a difficult show to watch week to week. Uh, it didn't, it wasn't like a crime of the week, you know, like law and order, you know, crime happens by the end of it, you're on to the next one. You know, it's like a, a, a cap that's enclosed. Aquarius was like ongoing, multiple storylines. Looking back, it was really more of a streaming show, you know, and, and, and we put it on a network because, um, you know, NBC wanted to try it, which was nice, but um, I feel like it would have had a better shot if it was streaming and you could watch all, Twelve, you know, at once, that kind of a thing, like people do now. Um, but whatever, I you can't have any regrets about it. We did. I, I know all the reasons why we chose to put it where we did, when we did, and they were fine reasons. That was a time in which network TV was saying we want to do cable type shows. You know, they've since given up. But at that point, you know, cable was really in ascendance. It's just pre Netflix. Um, so networks were saying, we want to do shows that might be on Showtime or HBO. We want to do those kinds of shows. And now, you know, now they don't. Now they've kind of reverted back to, you know, more traditional type network shows. And cable is doing what and streamers are doing what they're doing, which is where we should have been. Now, how did X-Files come about? That was, a, you know, that was your, put you on the map menu. And I always crack up. They had an episode about the Jersey Devil. And I went to college in the Pinelands. In the, sure. down in the Pine Barrens and we, we had a different picture of the Jersey Devil I was like holy shit there's an episode about the Jersey Devil but how did uh, how did the, how did the X-Files come about for you? I was um, I, I was I wanted to be an actor that went from movie to movie I mean when I started acting movies were king and television was kind of like the, the, the B team and um, I wanted to play on A team so I thought I'd go movie to movie, and uh, but I also needed to make a living, and um, that pilot came my way through the X Files, and my manager at the time thought I should do it, and I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to get on a TV show forever because I want to go movie to movie, you know. And um, she said, I think you should you should try to get it, and so I did. And I got it, and I thought, like her, we both thought, well, you know, this will be a paycheck, but there's no way it'll go on because it's about aliens and how many people are interested in that. And uh, very wrong, obviously. But, uh, you know, also, I happened to be, like, in that wave that was turning television into a real competitor with 
movies in terms of production, value, and acting, writing, and really, you know, kind of in that first wave of great one-hour dramas, like well, like ER or uh, or us, or then you know, and then NYPD Blue a little before us, and David Milch's stuff, and then on to cable one hours and then you know now you have really the ascendancy of, of television as, as the form where the best work is getting done and now movies have kind of become you know comic book uh you know b type what used to be called b stuff you know like who would have thought that you know these movies like thor and the avengers are gonna <laughs> rule hollywood i mean these are these are comic books these are these are kids stuff right so that's kind of been the, the reversal. And um, I, I, again, I didn't see it coming, but I was lucky enough to, to be involved with somebody, Chris Carter, who was interested in doing work on weekly, you know, tell 25 stories a year that were movie worthy. You know, when you how think about that, like they had to do. You know? Now, how did that change your life? All of a sudden, you know, you're everywhere. And, I, and as you said, the, the UFO and the Lambda people aren't the most, you know, normal at times. I mean, I'm sure you had some really, some people sending you some weird yeah. shit and stuff like that. How is it when all of a sudden the show becomes a hit and you become this, this superstar? How does your life change? I mean, is it something, you know, you're an educated guy, so it's probably easier for you to keep even well, I'm a little, I'm a, I was also a little older. I mean, I wasn't like 18 and this was happening. I was 32, 33. So I lived some life. I had a little better idea of who I was than when I was 18. Um, so I think I could withstand the kind of uh, crazy tension that all of a sudden started happening. But even 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 so, it's... it's uh, something you know it's hard to answer because it's my life you know it happened in my life and it is my life so it's like i don't really have access to the other version of it where that doesn't happen but i remember you know it was totally weird at first and then it got normal you know at first it was this is weird i'm super famous i'm on magazine covers and everybody knows who i am and then a year or two of that, and it was like, yeah, that's 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 my life. Now, California Cation is a show that everyone I know loves it. I talk to people that like everyone loves it. Hank Moody is such a great character. How did did Tom bring that to you with you in mind and say, David, you're perfect for this because you also have a writing background. You know, you're a good looking guy. I, I, I don't know, I don't know if he did. I mean, I Tom said that he'd written a, a movie for me and Jennifer Aniston, like he'd written a spec script that he wanted me and Jennifer Aniston to star in when I met him. So he's, he claimed to be a fan of mine, you know, and, and, uh, the Californication script was another one that just came to me and I was wanting to do a comedy because I was kind of like pushing off of X-Files, like it's a dark, you know, dramedy, whatever, drama, whatever. I wanted to just stretch a little bit in another direction. Uh, I would have preferred to do it in movies, but those weren't coming my way, the, the ones that I wanted. And it wasn't the style of comedy that I was necessarily going to score in that was happening at the time, 2005, 2006. So 
this game and I was like, Oh, this is this is my this is like seventies like shampoo. This is this is a very kind of like uh man among men, man among women comedy that I'm not seeing because I was looking at like all the other the movies that are out there like uh you know, very, very boyish comedic leads, you know, like a Jim Carrey. I mean like a like a very kind of, you know, enter you know, that's not me. And, but I was like, oh, this, I can live in this world. And then, um, I don't know if Tom had me in mind, but he certainly, you know, when I when I expressed interest, he was, it was just like, that's, we just were off, you know, from that. Well, Evan had said also, that when you guys, after like the first season, you said, you know, how long can this go on? You know, getting drunk, getting late, stuff like that. Did it yeah. surprise you how long it went? And and was it was it a great set to be on? Yes. Um no, it didn't surprise me how long it went on because I, I knew we were making people laugh, you know, and it, and and it wasn't a plot dependent show; it was a character dependent show. So I knew that once people, if they dug the characters, they were going to be in for as long as we could make them laugh and make them cry too, you know, because it was that kind of a weird show where you could be absurd and then also be sentimental. So uh, the only thing that gets in the way of that is like. You know, when you're doing it on a on a cable network, after a certain amount of years, they're, even if you're huge, they're not interested because it just gets more and more expensive for them. You know, and they're not they're not just making money off eyeballs anymore. You know, so um, so no, I wasn't surprised, uh, but uh, and I loved going to that set. That set was a joy, always. Um, Natasha McElone. Evan, Pam Adlon, Maddie, Maddie Martin, played my daughter, various guest stars that we have. It was just a great place to go to work. We had a great time. We, we didn't do terrible long hours. You know, we just tried to keep it light, keep it funny, keep it fresh. And I think we did, you know, so, yeah, that was a great job. One final question, because Eric is here. So, well, one final yeah. question. Uh, Larry Sanders, you know, Gary Shandling for me, I, I, my background is I was a stand-up comic, and every comic I know who encountered, you know, Shandling said he was just like the most brilliant guy, and he was, and he was before his time. How did your 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 role in that was so quirky? It's, it was out of the blue. I mean, is that something they, they courted you and said, hey, the company, you got to do this? Or did you say, hey, you know, you know I want to play this kind of role, or were you actual friends with Gary? Well, it's a, it's a it's a good question. Um, I loved that show. Uh, like first or second year of the X Files, I would have um, my manager send me the VHS cassettes to Canada so I could watch Larry Sanders. That's how I. I don't think they had HBO up there yet, so I I would get my cassettes. I'd be so excited to watch Sanders. And I said at the end, of, I think it was after the end of the first year, I said I I don't want to do a movie. I'm too tired. I just want to do the Sanders show and I want to do SNL. Those two things. So I did SNL and then they got me on Sanders and I did a a show where um, uh, Bill Cosby, of all people, goes on too long and I get bumped. Like I'm I'm me, but I get bumped and I'm a real asshole about it. Like I I come on really nice and then they bump me and I'm just a dick. And we had fun and Gary said, do you play basketball? And I said, yeah. And I started playing at his house and we became great friends. And it was after that episode, the next year, I said, I should come back on and have a crush on you. But it's like not sexual. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's, 
it's a man you know now we talk about man crushes but then we didn't really so it was like kind of the pro the, the prototype of the man crush you know but he's very confused at, at my attentions so yeah we just kind of improv that idea and and just that's that's how and we became great friends and i, I miss him uh it's almost i think it's five or six years now just the other day that he's dead and um, he stays with me well, I want to thank you for coming on, David. Uh, the album, People, Jesterland, comes out August 20th. Uh, David, what's your Twitter? Oh, I don't remember that. People, just Google, just Google David the Covenant Twitter, and you'll find him. I'm at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 860 episodes. Email me at cooper, coopertalk.net. Don't remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.